0: Hey, and welcome to our 43rd class on the Christian basics, or for my Lutheran teenagers out there, Confirmation. Every week, we aim to bring you biblical content that will help you in your new or emerging walk with Christ. I'm Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Lutheran down in Houston, Texas. And this week, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and the Festival of Pentecost. Let's roll. In the book of Acts, we see something amazing unfolding. This is when the Holy Spirit is given to the Church of Christ. Peter was giving a sermon to a large group of people, and this was during actually a Hebrew festival, one of the three great Hebrew festivals called Shavuot. And that word literally means weeks in Hebrew, and it was the custom of the Hebrew people to celebrate Shavuot 50 days after the Passover. Now this Hebrew festival celebrated the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so Pentecost would have been, or Shavuot, would have been one of these festivals that actually required the Hebrew people to gather, just like they would normally gather in Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. So it was at this festival which commemorated the giving of the law to Moses, where something rather remarkable happened, and I'll give kind of a summary of the story. Basically, you have hundreds, even thousands of, of people gathered, and then there is a, a rush of great wind. And it was at this time that people were speaking in their own native tongue, right, but different languages that people couldn't understand. But it was as though fire were above their head, and all of a sudden, they could understand one another. So they they weren't speaking in a language they didn't know. They were speaking in a language they did know, but those listening wouldn't have known those languages. And yet on this day, with this miraculous event, they could understand. Now, many have suggested this is kind of a New Testament reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel. If you remember way back, we talked about the event in Genesis 11, the destruction of the Tower of Babel. And at that time, everyone spoke One common language. And if you've ever been around someone who speaks your language or doesn't speak your language, you know what a gift it is that we can understand each other. But after the Tower of Babel was destroyed, the people were dispersed. And one of God's curses was that people could not understand one another anymore. And so it's almost like this gathering of people from all over the world for this festival, this is the time the Spirit inaugurates and and makes clear his presence among them through this miracle of understanding. In Christ, the, the, the reversal of the Tower of Babel is now taking hold. In Christ, we can understand one another. In Christ, we can be community again. Now I do want to suggest that the Spirit of God has always existed. It's not like on Pentecost the third person of the Trinity began. That's not what we believe as Trinitarians. In fact, you see the the Holy Spirit in even the Old Testament, even in Genesis 1, where we see that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. But now is the time for the Spirit to be explicitly given to the Church. And the Spirit is with believers, with Christians every day right now. In fact, every true Christian Possesses the Holy Spirit. Paul says it like this You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But who is the Spirit, and what really does the Spirit do? Well, if you remember from our, our talk on the Trinity, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so it's completely appropriate to always speak of the Spirit as a He and not an it. Sometimes people will sort of fall into that language. I'm not even sure we should say the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, because in the Scriptures, there is no article. It just says Holy Spirit. If we could amend our language to say that, I think that would be great. But Paul writes in Ephesians 4.30 that we are not to grieve the Spirit of God. Well, if the Spirit is something like the force from Star Wars or something silly like that, that that cannot be grieved. You can only grieve a person. So, to be clear, the Spirit of God is a person. Now, I would like to say that the Spirit really sort of does three things. There are three things the Spirit does as a, a part of its economic function in the Trinity that the other two persons don't do. The first is that He draws us to confess Christ as Lord. The second is that He empowers us with spiritual gifts. The third is that He gives fruit of the Spirit to believers, Now, Lutherans teach that the main work of the Spirit is to bring us to a confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord. And by the way, as inherent sinners, that really is a miraculous act, lest anyone say, I don't believe in miracles. We read this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is what gives us power to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. And we need the Spirit's help in this because we are sinners, we do sin, and we have fallen short of the glory of God. We are natural-born rebels, so it is really only by the grace of God and the giving of the Spirit that we would confess Christ as our Lord. Now, a believer also receives spiritual gifts. Every Christian believer has certain spiritual gifts, and they are different. Paul talks about being many members and yet one body. So we have different spiritual gifts that we are to bring together for the edification, the teaching of the body, and the building up of the community. Now, these gifts might be things like teaching, or discernment, or administration. In the New Testament, we see certain gifts that I am not sure continue to this day, at least not in the same way they continued in the New Testament. And those three main gifts that people will often speak about are really rooted under prophecy. It's prophecy uh, and the speaking of tongues and faith healing. Now, you've probably seen some people on TV or something that still continue to do this. Maybe you go to a church where those gifts are still extolled. Those who think that those gifts have ceased are called cessationists, and those who think all three of those gifts have continued are called continuationists. Now that in and of itself is a huge topic and has been the subject of many debates that you could find certainly online and come to your own conclusions. It's not a life or death issue, but I think that there are some pretty good reasons to believe uh... that these gifts have ceased now i don't think it's a, a an argument you can make only from the bible because part of my argument is that these gifts were present during the apostolic age that is as long as there are true apostles of christ still alive these gifts would have been present among them they possess these gifts really on demand And yet we don't live in the apostolic age anymore, and so I don't think people in the same way possess those gifts. And the Bible was written while they were alive, so of course you're going to see the gifts in the Bible. And there are only possible suggestions that these gifts are going to cease, and there are very clear statements that not all will have them. But I think there are three good reasons—I like the number three—three good reasons to believe that these gifts of prophecy, healing, and tongues have ceased By and large, for most Christians, and certainly for anyone on demand, the first reason is that these gifts are no longer needed. You see, we possess the Word of God in the Scriptures. We have everything we need for the building up of the body to evangelize to unbelievers, to bring people into faith. And so if someone is speaking for God, they claim to speak for God, and they say something that is different from the Scripture— well, that's a troubling sign because now that someone is saying something different from the bible the bible that already is the perfect word of god if they say the same thing as what's in the bible well that's good but we already have it in the bible maybe there are situations where people have a word just for a community uh, from god i think that's possible but i think most of the time you see that it, it it's not really a, truly a word from god and it's certainly not for the whole church Uh, it's something somebody believes. There are lots of stories about people having actually competing in different prophecies in the same congregation. Well, why don't we spend our time focusing on what the Bible says? I think we would all be better off for it. Now, the second reason I am concerned about some of these miracles is that they can so easily be faked. Look, I, I want you guys to be skeptical of just about everything. Con men will use your faith against you to have you believe in phony miracles, and really, to give them money. So just the fact that they can be so easily faked and are fakeable makes me very concerned. And then third, most of the time these gifts are being done, they're not really being done in the way that Paul said to do them. For example, when you speak in tongues, people should be speaking in a known language and there should be an interpreter present. Uh, he says one, maybe two people in the assembly should speak in tongues, and that's it. But a lot of times in modern churches where they are speaking in tongues, the whole assembly is speaking in an unknown language, what they'll call a, a, a prayer language or an angelic language. And that's just not how Paul said to do it. And in fact, Paul said that he would rather speak five words of knowledge than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, what has more knowledge than the scriptures? So, for those reasons, I tend to limit my access, if you will, to the Word of God, to the Bible itself. Now, of course, I still do believe that miracles are possible. One of the very first videos we did was on the possibility of miracles. Uh, I think healings and things like that still do occur. I also think we're not always healed just because we ask for it. And I don't believe that people today possess the same ability to, to harness these gifts on demand like the apostles, like Peter and Paul clearly could. They perform many miracles in the book of Acts. And so most of the time you see folks on TV claiming to have these abilities. They're really abusing the Spirit of God, not using the Spirit of God. And besides, why make these gifts so important, right? There are other spiritual gifts given. They are also very important. Do you know that faith itself... Is one of the spiritual gifts. We need faith. We need people with. The ability to believe in things uh, that we can't see, and I'm not talking about like the the doctrine of the Trinity or something like that, or an, an article of faith we would confess, but I mean just believing that uh, that God is still at work, that things are, are are going to get better. This is could be the way that God is working through things. That's a that's a gift that not everyone possesses. And even as I said, things like administration, that's a gift. If you've ever been around someone who is totally unorganized, and then someone who is. It's a gift to do that, and it helps the body. Now, the Spirit also helps us to bear fruit in our lives. If you ever went to, like, vacation Bible school when you were a kid, you might have had a whole week just looking at these fruits. There are nine of them that Paul mentions in the book of Galatians, and as I read them, I want you to just ask yourself, are these things that I would want more of in my life or less? These are what Paul says are the fruits of the Spirit. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, don't we all want more of those in our life? In fact, I don't think it's out of bounds to suggest that you can, to a degree, notice a Christian from a non-Christian, simply because a Christian possesses the Spirit, and therefore they have these fruits. These are fruits that they are going to live out in their life. So, who is the Spirit, and what does the Spirit do? Well, if you confess Christ as your Lord, don't take too much credit for that. We would say that is actually the Spirit in you drawing you to a confession of Christ as your Lord. And that also means that you can be certain that the Spirit of God will give you His fruits and His gifts. Well, thanks so much for joining me this week. Next week, we're going to look at St. Paul. We've talked about his letters. In fact, we just quoted several of his letters. But who was he? What really is his story of what we call conversion? I don't really like the word conversion. But who was he? Where did he come from? And why is almost half of the New Testament comprised of his letters? We'll talk about that next time. In the meantime, you can email me, at gmail.com You can go to our church website for worksheets, flhouston.org, and you'll see a video series right at the top of the page. And subscribe to this channel. It helps people uh, find us. A lot of y'all have recently, and I certainly appreciate it. Until next time, take care.